welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Today, I am going to be teaching, so I want to encourage you to take out your notes. You take out your notes? I would love some feedback, though, because when I'm teaching, it tends to be a little more quiet in here. I'm not going to preach like I usually do. Um, I am going to teach a little bit this morning. We are moving into um, what I believe is a season where we're going to focus on, in more of a teaching format, the power of the gospel. Now, not that the gospel is not in everything we do. It is. But we're actually going to break down and dive into what I call the deep basics. Everyone say deep basics. Sometimes we hear the word basic and we're like, oh, it's just surface. No, but we're going to go deep into some of the basics of our spiritual and our Christian faith. And I believe this is going to help a lot of us. I believe it's going to illuminate. It's going to provoke a lot of questions. It's going to spark a lot of conversation. And hopefully, and I believe ultimately, it's going to transform your thinking and your life. We here at Kingdom Culture, our goal, our heart, is to help everyone everywhere experience God. If you don't experience God and you come to this gathering that we gather and we call church, then, man, we failed to facilitate and do whatever we can to do that because that's the heart of heaven is that you would encounter God in such a way that it would transform your life. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? We don't want to do religion. We don't want to just do church. We don't want you to come to church and be comfortable sitting in a cineplex because these chairs are pretty comfortable. And some people do fall asleep. It's dark in here. That's why we need our own building. So, amen, we need our own building. You know, we're believing for that. Read the letter. We're encouraging uh, those of you that are called KC their home to, to step up and step in with us in this next season more radically in your giving so we can see things shift in this next season of our life as a church body. But we are moving into the gospel. Now, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. Community, generosity, and the gospel would be three main themes of 2023. Now we've come through all those and now into what we are talking about this morning. Now, Paul, everyone know Paul the Apostle, radical guy, wrote some amazing things about the power of the gospel. And I'll mostly be referencing his points in his letters. In 2 Corinthians, you can go there, chapter 5. Like I said, I'm going to be teaching. So please bear with me, okay? Like take pictures of the screen if you need to. Okay? This is a little bit harder to do. This is going to feel a little bit more of like a class this morning, okay? The context of 2 Corinthians is Paul the Apostle is writing from Macedonia now, okay? And he's writing to a place that is now in Greece. It's Greece, basically, at Corinth, okay? And he's writing to them. Now, some of the things he's dealing with, there's a lot of things, but a lot of false teachers. He's speaking to some new believers. He's speaking and confronting these 
what are called super apostles, some impressive leaders that have come into the area to deceive some of the young believers. And these super apostles, these super leaders, these impressive leaders are opposing Paul and basically saying, listen, bro, you have way too much suffering going on. You must not be filled with the Spirit. There's way too much suffering in your life. Paul's in prison. He was beaten, he was flogged, I mean, shipwrecked. There's way too much suffering in your life, bro. You must not be an apostle of God. We don't have the same kind of suffering that you do. In fact, they were judging his leadership. They were saying, your leadership is really poor and unsuccessful. Therefore, you must not be an apostle from God. Now, if you know the Bible, you know that's the opposite. You know that's the complete opposite. Here is one of the, the guy that, like, wrote a huge portion of the New Testament that is in the canonized books of the Bible is not a, a, not a good apostle? Give me a break. The guy is like a supercharged hero of the faith. So we pick it up in chapter 5, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, So from now on we regard no one from human point of view according to worldly standards and values. I'm not just going to judge you based upon how everyone else judges you. How many know that we live in a culture right now where it's like if you don't have the, thing, the car, the house, the good job, the good RRSP, the good retirement plan, it's like you can feel judged. I don't have it all together. I don't have all of my ducks in a row. I don't have the kids yet. I don't have the marriage yet. I don't have the stability. I don't have the things that culture says you should have to determine that you are successful. I don't have that. We don't regard no one from a human point of view according to worldly standards and values, though we have known Christ from a human point of view. Now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, listen to this in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, everyone say in Christ. If everyone is in Christ, that is grafted in joined to him by faith to him or in him as savior he is a new creature if you are in christ that is you are grafted in joined to him by faith he is a new creature that new creature comes from a word or new kainos in the in the greek meaning a fresh slated brand new being a fresh slated brand new being he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, everyone say old things. The previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Everything that once defined you, identified you, held you down, held you back, now has been eradicated from your life. You're like, wait a minute, that's way too good to be true. That's why it's called good news. It's not okay news, it's called good news. It's so good, it's too good to be true. And that's why the Jews, it was called a scandal. It was a scandal. This message of the gospel was scandalous to the Jews. Scandalous, because it flipped the whole system on its head. Old things have passed away. Behold, listen to this, new things have come, because spiritual awakening brings a new life. Verse 18. But all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, making us acceptable to him. Interesting statement. He made us acceptable to him. How? Through Christ. Christ is the stamp of approval on your life that makes you acceptable to God, favored with God, accepted 
with God and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example we might bring others to him. Now listen to this in verse 19. That is that God, very important, this is what we're diving into today, that God was in Christ. God, what, this is the mystery of the gospel. God, the Father, creator, was in Christ. Christ was the exact representation of the Father, of the creator. They were one. If you've seen the, the Father or if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. Both Christ and the Father are one in the same. Jesus was the reflection of God on the earth because Jesus was actually God in an earth suit. God in Christ reconcil reconciling the world to himself. God's like, I got to get the world back to me because sin destroyed that. I got to get the world back to me. So I'm going to go into the world as a man to reconcile the world back to me. I'm going to look like them, sound like them, become relatable to them so they have a better reference point so I can reconcile them back to me. Not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, that is, restoration to favor with God because we lost it. Sin destroyed that. In the garden, sin destroyed the favor of God over man. Sin did not separate God from man. Sin separated man from God. Very, two very different things. Very different things. God was not like, I can't, I, I, I just, where, where are the people? No, no, we separated ourselves. We still do that today. We disconnect ourselves, even though God's with us, he's around us, he's omnipresent everywhere all the time. You can't escape the presence of God ever. It is impossible. But you reject God. You, you separate yourself and your mindset from God. You stop your awareness of God by choice, by disconnection, because of your rejection. Verse 20. So we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. Now let's fast forward to verse 21. Very, very important verse. He made Christ, listen to this, who knew no sin to judicially, this is the word, be sin on our behalf. He knew no sin. He didn't sin. He knew no sin. But God said, okay, you're not going to sin, Jesus, but I'm going to make you the nature of sin. Or I'm going, to, I'm going to put you in a body and you're going to take on the likeness of the nature of sin. So that you can eradicate sin from humanity. Destroy its stranglehold on humanity. So that, listen to this, so he made him who knew no sin to be judicially sin on our behalf. So that in him we might become the what? So that in him we might become the right, this is the goal, this is the becoming, we might become the right, this is the end goal. This is the end goal of salvation. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you become the righteousness, listen to this, of God. The righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in right relationship with him by his gracious, loving Kindness, man, what a, what a, what a, this, this chapter is very, very powerful. Today you're getting like the basics, but you're getting the depth of it. 
of the, God, of, of the power of the gospel in your life. To not understand this, to reject this, and to not understand and lean into this fully is to reject relationship with God. Because the only thing that makes you right with God is not your behavior, is not your good deeds, it's not your giving, it's not your generosity, it's not all the things you have and do for the world in kindness. It's Jesus' work on a cross over 2,000 years ago. The only thing that makes you right with God, which is righteousness, it's right standing with God in relationship, undisconnected relationship. So what did God exactly do to be sin? He said, he who knew no sin became sin. How did he become sin? Well, he had to come in the form of a man named Jesus. He dressed up as a man. So write this down if you're taking notes. When God dressed up. Talking about Halloween. Yeah, I don't want to get into an argument of whether you believe in going out on Halloween or not. Hey, go out and love your neighbors. Trick or treat and bless them. Prophesy over them. Like, we can argue all day long, is it Satan's holiday or not? Listen, Satan is doing a lot of things around the world. He doesn't need one day. There's all kinds of stuff happening around the world that you don't even know. In fact, the most strategic satanic stuff happens in strategy where nobody knows it's happening. That's where you want the most awareness, is the things you don't, you don't know and, you're, and you're not, are not super visible. But everybody's dressing up on Halloween to be someone that they're not or to associate themselves with someone or something that they're not. Well, let me just tell you, Jesus was the reflection of this. God decided one day to fix the problem that the law could never fix. It was the law of sin and death. God knew, okay, at some point, at the right appointed time, I'm going to have to come in the form of a man to relate to humanity, to reconcile man back to me. So God dressed up as man. His name is Jesus. Are you with me? Man, I remember like years ago, like, like when I first started out in traveling, like in, in a, a form of ministry, like where I'd be speaking, I go to all kinds of different, I've been to every single U.S. state except for five. I've traveled to every single U.S. state except for five of them. And I met all the cultures, and I've been around the world, but all the cultures, especially in the U.S., you'd think, you know, where North America would be somewhat similar. Man, very different. I mean, we know this now. This is before social media. I didn't have YouTube. I didn't have, you know, I, I didn't have Instagram. I didn't know what the dress code was. In certain, I used to have long dreadlocks, big gauge earrings, piercings. I did not look like a minister at all. And so I had to learn. I didn't even have any, I didn't own any dress clothes. So I'd get inv invitations to places and I'd be like, I'd be shocked because Everybody would be in like seven-piece suits, and here I am in a T-shirt with a spike belt and the wallet chain and a bandana, bandana on, dreadlocks. And I didn't fit the culture, but I had to learn very quickly if I wanted to reach the culture, I had to dress up like the culture. You might be like, "Well, that's not spiritual." Actually, it is very spiritual, because humans are humans. And even G God said it to Samuel when He rebuked Samuel. He said, "Man will always look on the outside." But God looks at the heart. Listen, man will always judge. Some of you are like right now sitting in the chair judging why I'm not wearing a suit and I'm the lead pastor. 
Maybe not in this house. Maybe there was a day where that would have been the case. But everybody judges the outside, right? You tracking with me? Everybody judges the outside. They're like, well, you know, like this guy, like why well, he's got like he's got like gauged plug earrings. I mean, what's the deal with him? He's got tattoos. Like, why is why is he suitable to be a lead pastor? People think that way. Especially when I had dreadlocks. I remember this one time I was invited to this Ohio church. It was like a like a like a 1500 member all black gospel church. Like it was an amazing church, but everybody in the church like we're wearing like seven piece suits. And so I knew going into it that I needed to bring a suit, get a suit. But I I remember getting, you know, I <laughs> I remember going and I think I was, I don't know what the deal was. I was rushed or something. I brought the wrong tie. I brought us too small of a, a shirt. I brought the wrong vest. The jacket didn't fit me. It was like a complete disaster. I felt so disheveled. And I remember getting up on the stage and feeling so insecure. It's like I didn't dress the part. I missed, like, the memo. I didn't dress the part. I, I didn't remember the right clothes. I didn't have the right clothes. I, like, obviously, they're, you know, they, they were okay with that. I explained the problem. I explained the situation. I'm like, listen, don't judge me. If you want to go out and buy some new clothes. But I remember in this moment having to go into a place in my mindset where if I want to reach the people, I have to do my part to dress up like them a little bit. Now, you can stay in prison. You can be bound to that, and that's a, not a good place to live. But, man, let me just tell you, like, if there are certain environments, you can say all you want. God is above all of it, and he is. At the end of the day, people will stop receiving and listening to you, sometimes by the way you look. That's a fact. Now, God can trump all that. He can. He does all the time. But it still happens. People might reject you because of the way you look. Jesus came and dressed up like us to reach us. He could have came like the Pharisees and the religious people wanted him to come big chariots of gold, I am God, the creator of the universe, like cloud, coming on a cloud, you know, riding on a cloud. He could have done all the supernatural crazy stuff that the king, the creator of the universe, the Messiah, the coming Messiah, could have probably done. But he came lowly, humble, riding on a donkey, riding on an ass. There, I said it. But that's an amazing picture of the gospel, that God can use an ass like you and an ass like me. The lowest of the low of the animal kingdom, God can use. So you can't ever say again, I'm not qualified, God can't use me, I was a drug addict, I'm still struggling. I mean, God can't, God can't use me because I didn't go to Bible school, God can't use me, I haven't been to church in 10 years, God can't, that's a lie from the pit of hell. If God can use a don if Jesus came in on a donkey, he can ride on you. And he can use you. Powerful. It's the gospel. It's the gospel message. Listen to this. Write this down. God made his appeal to man by becoming man. And we call this the incarnation. Very important. You guys with me? You guys here? Come on, punch your neighbor and say, wake up. If you fall asleep, I'm falling asleep. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Let's go back there. For he made him who knew no sin. Okay, so what did he make him? The incarnation. Jesus 
He's speaking of Jesus here. God the Father made Jesus an incarnation of himself. Jesus was God incarnate. To understand this verse, we have to understand the power of the incarnation. Not reincarnation, the, carn- the incarnation. Two very different things. God became a human in Jesus Christ. This is what we call the incarnation. It comes from the Latin meaning flesh. God dressed up in flesh so that he can relate to you. God dressed up in the flesh so you could become like him. God dressed up so you could dress up. That's the premise. He dressed up like you so you could dress up like him. Should I say it again? He dressed up like you so you could dress up like him and represent him. God dressing up was part of the plan since the beginning of time. This was not a reactionary plan. This was a plan since the beginning of the time. Listen to this. In John chapter 1, verse 1. Remember, I told you I'm teaching, okay? So track with me. Take pictures if you have to. In the beginning, the word already existed. Jesus already existed in the beginning. The incarnate God, the plan, because Jesus represents the plan of redemption to reconcile the world back to himself. He existed in the beginning of time. He was there with God. He's the, it's the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is one of many reasons, okay? One of many reasons why Allah is not the same God that we serve. Because Muslims do not believe in the triune God. Without the triune God, our whole faith is shattered. On top of the reality that Muhammad encountered a demon, just going to say that, we get gold, we'll talk about that on another Sunday. Okay? Jesus, as a prophet, wasn't just a prophet. That's what the deception is. Well, he was a good prophet. The Quran says Jesus was a good prophet. The Jews even acknowledged Jesus as some type of prophet, but not the Messiah. But Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was God incarnate. He was God dressed up in flesh. This is, this is, the, defining, this is the defining, dividing line of all, by the way, all religion, any religion, Hinduism, anything, Harry Krishna, anything. All The defining line is that Jesus came as a man but was God in the flesh to redeem all humanity back to himself. And he didn't just die like every other false prophet did. He rose again. He resurrected. Resurrected. Now listen to this, John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word Jesus became a human. Verse 14, you see it there. The word that John 1 verse 1 is talking about, the word himself, the Logos word, he was the, the totality of the expression of the word of God that we read today. He was the fullness of that, that expression. He was both Logos in the Greek and Rhema in the Greek. He was that communicated word that came in the form of a man just like us to relate to us. And he was in the beginning with God creating. So the word became human. Jesus became human. God became human and made his home among us. 
powerful, isn't it? The Word became a human being. And listen, like, from the beginning of time, the only thing you were predestined to, to, to know and to be for, the only thing, you know, I believe in predestination. Let me, let me break it down for you right now. The only thing that you are predestined for is to know God, to know your Creator. Nothing else. Now, you can reject that. Just because you were predestined for something doesn't mean you'll walk into that something. You tracking with me? I can plan my kid's wedding. I can arrange the marriage. It doesn't mean that they'll last in that marriage. It doesn't mean that at the end of the day they won't run. Run for the hills. I don't want to marry that person. Uh, but I don't, I don't believe in arranged marriage. I'm not saying I do. I don't do that, that weird stuff. But I'm just saying, it's like I can predestine something. It doesn't mean that my kids will do it. Because let me just tell you this. God is not in control. He is in charge. Two very different things. If God was in control, we would all be in robotic in nature, and there would be no sin and evil in the world. God gave up control in the garden when he created Adam and Eve and said, now you guys take control. Here's the keys to my Rolls Royce. Do whatever you want to it with it. And all they did, they drove it into a tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Like, okay, you gave us independence. I'm driving that Rolls right into a tree. And they crashed it, and it screwed up everything for all of us. If God was in control, he wouldn't have even give an, give, given them an option to choose independence. If God was in control, he wouldn't have put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. God created that. Why? Because he, he's, he is love, and love never forces itself on another. Love gives the option. It's an invitation to reciprocate love back. Love, real love, gives you the free will to choose. God is not in control. He's in charge. Stop saying when things bad happen in the world, God is in control. He's not in control. He's in charge. You're in control. I mean, if you're a parent, you know this. You're on the plane. Your kids are freaking out. If you were in control, you could shut that thing up when you wanted to. You're in charge of your kids, but you cannot control what they do. You track it with me. It's like every parent's nightmare is like in the plane for like nine hours, the kid's freaking out the whole time. Thank God I've, I'm like past that stage now. My kids are older. But man, I'm in the plane sometimes, and I fly quite a bit, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm battling, you know, comparing, saying, thank God I'm not like one of them, but that's like really bad. <laughs> because at one point, that did happen. That did happen, and it's hard. But here's the thing. Parents know this. They're not in control. They're just in charge. So back to the beginning, Ephesians chapter 1. Are you with me? Stay, track with me, okay? Stay in the vehicle with me. Don't jump out. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. This is what you were predestined for. This is the only thing you are predestined for. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, blameless, and in his sight. Listen to this, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through who? Don't say it too loud. Through who? Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure, his pleasure and will. So he predestined you to be adopted. Before the beginning of time, the plan of redemption was already in place. God was going to come in the flesh to reconcile you who weren't even born yet, who still existed in heaven, and the only thing he predestined you for was to be his son. The son came as a human 
fully human and fully God, so you as an orphan could become a son of God. This is powerful. You were predestined to be a part of the family. Now you could reject that invitation. You can reject any invitation you want to a wedding. You don't have to respond. You don't have to RSVP. But the invitation has been sent out. Just to say, yes, I want to be that son. I don't want to be that orphan. Orphans are disconnected from family. Sons are connected. They know who their father is. It's not gender specific. You're all sons in here. Because in this culture, when they were writing this, sons actually were the ones that got the inheritance. Sons were the ones, especially the firstborn son, the full portion the double portion of the inheritance. So you're called the son even as a daughter, technically, because that's, it's all about inheritance. That when you understand who you are in right relationship with God, you have a full access pass to his inheritance in your life. And it's massive. He predestined us. I mean, Revelation 13.8 says the lamb was slain. Listen to this. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ, died before the foundation of the world began. Everything was put in place before it was put in place here in the Spirit. Everything happened in the Spirit first before it happened in the natural. This is why we can be rest assured that God is in charge and God knows exactly what He's doing. And if we can keep our steps in line with His, we will succeed in what we are doing. He's ordered our steps. God dressed up like us according to Paul in Romans for a very specific purpose. Listen to this in Romans chapter 8 verse 3. The law of Moses, okay, the law of Moses was unable to save us because the weakness of our sinful nature. The law, the Mosaic law and the Ten Commandments that guided and guarded the Israelites that was instituted in a wilderness season to protect them and beyond was unable to save them because of the weakness of our nature the sinful nature within us. Don't murder, so we murder. Don't lust, so we lust. It's like a kid. Don't put your hand in that light socket. And they go. When you say don't, the natural inclination of human nature wants to do the very thing to test it out. Don't speed. What does it feel like to speed? Sometimes I wonder if there was no speeding uh, signs on the highway, what would happen? I don't know. Yeah, you would have no job. I don't know what would happen. If everything was like an Autobahn, I don't know what would happen. Who knows? We do need rules. We do need laws. But those won't save you at the end of the day. Even if you abide by the laws of the land, you can still die on the road. So the law can't save you. The law will not protect you. This is what happened. So the law wasn't working, and so Jesus had already planned a plan. At the beginning of time, to reconcile you back to him, knowing the law could not fix the problem of relationship. So God dressed up like us so we could be like him. Write that down. He dressed up like us so we could be like him. Now back to verse 3 of chapter 8. It says here, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law couldn't do. Listen to this. God did what the law couldn't do. He sent his own son. Listen to this. In a body like the bodies we sinners have. Again, the incarnation. He sent his own son in a body like we have. He dressed up like us so we could be like him. And through his body, and it says here, and in that body, in the body of Jesus, God declared an end to sin's control 
over us by giving his son as a sacrifice, speaking of the cross, for our sins. It's powerful. This is basic, by the way. But we need to hear this this way this morning. Becoming like him is such a deep conversation. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How do we become like him? Well, it says here, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin. So how do we become like him? Well, the answer, it says here for us, is that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what the goal is. We are to become the righteousness of God in him. The moment we give our lives to Jesus, we become, and we have the stamp of approval and acceptance on our life made right with God. That, we're talking about what is the righteousness of God? Well, he dressed up like us so our approval rating, write this down, would change from rejected to accepted. From abandoned to adopted. This is what righteousness does. So right standing with God because of accepting what Jesus died and did on the cross, right standing with God looks like our approval rating goes up. Because before that, we were rejected like orphans, not knowing who our father was. The father came in the form of a son to die on the cross to make you a son. And when you accept what his son did on the cross over 2,000 years ago, all of a sudden you go from rejected to accepted. Your sin rejected you. Do you hear this? The shame that covered you rejected you, but God changed all of that in one moment. This word for righteousness, it literally means the approval of God. It's divine approval. It refers to what is right by the Lord after his examination what is approved in his eyes. You're approved in his eyes when you accept what he's done. Now, if I can get through this, you guys okay? I want to go through three things. I mean, I get through all of them today. Three things that he dressed up as a man for. Number one, write this down, to deal with the old clothes. How many have old clothes in their closet? You can't put, old clo- you can't put new clothes in your closet if you have too many old clothes. How many know the feeling of cleaning out your closet? Cleaning out your closet. Some of you, all you hear is Eminem come to your mind. Okay, you clean out your closet so you can put more clothes into the closet. Some of you can't graduate in life because you're still holding on to old things in your life. Some of you can't graduate to the new thing in life because you're still hoarding the old thing in your life. You're cluttering your spiritual heart closet with stuff out of security and fear, and therefore God can't put the new thing in your heart and take you into the new season. But this is the core of the gospel, that old things were to pass away. God, you know what God did through his son on the cross? He destroyed your closet. He lit your closet on fire. He burned every piece of clothing in your closet and gave you a brand new wardrobe. It's called an inheritance. He gave you a brand. You have the most nice. You have the Armani suits. You have the Gucci. You got it all. In the kingdom, that's what he did. He burned all of your junk, all of your clothes, and he gave you the best of the best. And some of us want to ignore that wardrobe closet and go to the other one. You're like, what is going on? Oh, I'm more comfortable wearing my history than wearing my healing. I'm more comfortable wearing the, 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 the backdrop, the old school me, the bitter, the bitter me, than wearing my blessing, wearing my breakthrough, wearing what actually is right to wear. I'm more comfortable with that old thing because the new thing demands something from me. The old thing makes me feel secure. 
But God's like, no, no, the gospel message, I burnt your closet. You're picking up the ash heap. You're putting the ashes together to make old clothes again that don't even fit you anymore. And that's why some of us look awkward as Christians because we're walking around with things that don't fit. You ever seen someone that's been a Christian for like 50 years? You're like, man, like, there's like walls. Like, there's like, it's just, you can't, there's just no, no healing. There's no health. It's because they're wearing things. They're wearing clothes that just, they're not supposed to be wearing. They're going to the old version of themselves instead of pulling out the new stuff. How can you fill your closet if your closet is already full? Jesus got into our old clothes for a moment to give us some new ones. Now, let's go back to this verse again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him, once again, who knew no sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be in the likeness of the nature of sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, sin, in this context, comes from a Greek word that actually means to miss the target. Sin just simply means this, missing the target. The target's here, but we're, for some reason, always hitting over here. We're missing the target. That's the goal. That's the ideal. That's where God wants us to go. That's the standard. But we're somehow, we're always pointing over here. We're always hitting over here. But in this context, sin is not a behavioral thing. Sin is in reference to where it originates from. Sin, technically speaking, biblically under the new covenant, actually is a direct reference to not a behavior, but a nature. Because most of the time, even when Paul dresses it in Romans, it's a noun. It's a state of being. It's not an act. It's not, a, it's not a fleshly behavioral decision, okay? This word sin literally is more connected to the brand of sin that emphasizes its self-originated or self-empowered nature. Now, this is very important to understand because when Jesus died, it's he who knew no sin, he didn't sin. He became into the likeness of the nature of sin so that he would, this is the wording, circumcise you of the nature of sin that dominated your life. You still with me? Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were what? Circumcised, but not with a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. You guys know what circumcision is? It's a little class right now. Let's talk about circumcision. Using this microphone. I'm just joking. Um, it's actually close. That would have been a good illustration. I'm not just saying. But uh, it's okay. Listen, I'm not awkward talking about this stuff. You are. I'm sorry. I apologize. But it's not. This is human nature. It's very important we understand this because when you were born, you were born with a sin nature. So think about uh, like an uncircumcised individual. Okay? Don't, maybe you don't want to imagine. I don't know who you're imagining right now. I'm sorry. I don't know how to say it any other way. But you have a hood, <laughs> a dominating hood covering who you are. That's called the sin nature. Jesus, he likens it to this for a very specific reason. Because when he came and died on a cross, he destroyed that hood and cut the foreskin off of your life. So you could be free. Because let me just tell you, you were not free if you got, <laughs> anyways, if you're, if you're dominated, if you're covered, you're shrouded. Well, sin is like a cover, a shroud. A dominating shroud over your life. But when Jesus came, that's why Paul says it like this. He says, when you came to Christ, you were what? Say it. 
circumcised. Say it again. Okay, now we're not awkward anymore. You were circumcised, but not with a physical procedure. He performed a spiritual one, cutting away of your sinful nature. And the reason why this is so important is because this is the very thing that actually caused the fall in the Garden of Eden. Man, I could go so long, this is already 11.03. Ezekiel chapter 28. Okay, let's go there for a second. Most people have no grid for this chapter. This is a direct connected reference to the person of Lucifer, Satan, as a snake in the garden. We have very few. We have some in Isaiah, Revelation, very few talking about the nature of Satan himself. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15 to 16, says this, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until what? Iniquity was found in you. And we could go on, verse 16, it's very interesting. I have a whole teaching on this about talking about, because it's talking about trading here. Finance, trading, love of money, mammon. It's all, it's all in there. Powerful spiritual implications. But he says, you were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Very important because Lucifer was actually a covering cherub in the garden of God. He chose out of his own will. Once again, what is love? Out of his own will to be, because, man, he, I think he could sense something. Humanity was called to be like God. He might have heard the plan in the beginning of time. I'm going to make man. I'm going to make man in my image. And they're going to be like me. They're going to be my ambassadors. He maybe he knew the plan. So this cherub, maybe he was overhearing Michael and Gabriel talk about it. He overheard the plan. He's like, well, I want to be like God. And so he exalted himself. Out of pride, he be, began to be proud in his heart. Iniquity was found in his heart. And as a result, he was cast down with a third of the angels to the earth. Why we have demons today. Demons are real. If you don't believe it, just watch an exorcism. I've been a part of many, many of them. Many of them. You can't, I don't, I don't call it exorcism. That's the Catholics call it that, but I call it deliverance. Demons are real. If you don't believe in them, they're happy you don't believe in them because they can get you by not believing in them. De demons actually believe in the Son of God. You know that, right? They believe in Jesus. Like, Anyways, this is a whole other conversation that we can have later. The word iniquity is very important here. Till iniquity was found in you. This word iniquity denotes not an action, once again, but the character of an action. Where the action originates from. Talking about sin that we just referenced in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He who knew no sin became sin. Not Jesus didn't sin, but he, he, he identified for, a, for, for 33 years. He identified or more specifically the cross, he identified in the likeness of sin the iniquity that is spoken of right here. He identified for a moment so he could free us of that sin. Now, interesting that if you break this word down, iniquity, in Hebrew letters, because every Hebrew letter has a picture. Okay, if you study Hebrew, every letter has a picture attached to it. It means many different things. If you break this word iniquity down in the Hebrew, it actually could be translated like whatever your eye hooks into multiplies in your life. Let me say it again. The word iniquity, if you break it down in the Hebrew lettering in picture form, it could be identified as or defined as whatever your eye hooks into 
multiplies in your life. So here we have Satan, iniquity, in the garden tempting who? Adam and Eve. One tree in the garden. God said if you eat off any tree but the one tree you can't touch. What was the action of Eve in the temptation? What did her eye do? Let's go there for a second. Genesis chapter 2, he says, you can eat off any tree, but don't touch this one tree, you'll die. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1, go there quick. The serpent, driven by the iniquity, the nature of sin, okay? Not sin itself, the nature of sin, which produces sin. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Causing her to and him to what? Question. Whoa, do you see that today in the culture we live in? Are you really a boy? Are you really a girl? Man, I'm telling you, if you don't believe in demons, just look at the last three years of our life. Did God really say that you're heterosexual? Are you really? Why don't you explore a little bit? Did God really say you're a man? Did God really mean for you to have a penis? Talking about circumcision anyways, so. Maybe you should change that. Did God really say? Hey, if you don't believe in demons, you guys, listen. This is still happening today in the culture. Our kids are bombarded with questioning everything that was intended by the creator to be embraced. Did God really say? Did God really say? Go on to verse chapter, verse 6 of chapter 3. Let's speed this up a little bit. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she what? She took it. Whatever your eye hooks into multiplies. Guess what happened? Her eye hooked into this beautiful tree of beautiful fruit that was triggered by her questioning what God really said. Because of the nature of the serpent. That nature of the serpent transferred onto her. Her eye hooked into the fruit. Guess what multiplied into all humanity? Sin. Because of one man and woman's choice, all humanity was infected by the sin nature. This is why he who knew no sin became sin. This is why Jesus is called the second Adam. The first Adam screwed it all up for all of us multiplied sin into all humanity, so Jesus is called the second Adam to come and eradicate and fix what the first Adam screwed up. The sin nature has multiplied into all humanity, so now Jesus comes to what? Spiritually circumcise that nature from you. Man, this is good news. It says in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So what act was that? The act on the cross. Can you do that yourself? Can your kindness save you? Can your good works save you? No, it was one, his one act of righteousness brings us into a right relationship with God. 
man, this is such a, I love this. This is so powerful. It's basic, but it's, it's, it's the most important thing to build your life on if you have faith. Or even if you're on a journey for faith, you're searching. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, we know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer, let's say it, slaves to sin. So why do we feel like we are a slave? Because we don't understand this. When you don't understand that you have the wardrobe available to you, you live wearing your old clothes. So some of you, this is, this is, this is like the actual scenario. You have two wardrobes in, your, in your, your house right now. One is burnt down, familiar to you, and you have a new one, brand new one. It's always been there since you came to Jesus and had a, had a revelation that he is God in your life. That new one, though, places demands on you. That new one makes, ma- means that you got to live differently. That new one means that you got to actually step out and walk by faith, not by sight. That new one means give up sometimes your own control of your life and surrender it to God. That new wardrobe means that people are not going to like you the same way they might like you right now because you'll step on their toes. That new wardrobe means a lot of different things, and you're like, I, I know it's there. I know what Jesus did. I, I, I know what I could be, but I'm just comfortable wearing the burnt clothes. That's how people know me. I don't know if I'd even like myself over here, but let me just tell you, that's the best and real version of yourself. The real version of yourself is the son-adopted version, not the orphan. The real version of yourself is the predestined version of you, which is the son adopted by God into the family of God, wearing your new clothes day in and day out. That's the real version of you. The fake version of you is like you've been dressing up for Halloween in all the wrong ways. You've been wearing a costume, and it's not the real version of you. It's the pretend version of you. And listen to this. God will never bless you if you pretend to be something. God will not bless you if you pretend to be something. The pretend version of you does not attract God's blessing on your life. You might have worldly success, but you're missing something. You're missing something. Sin no longer, verse 14, chapter 6, Romans, sin is no longer your master. Or remember, this is the hood, has dominion, covers you. Circumcision, for you no longer live under the reputation or requirements of the law. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, put on your new nature, wear it, dress up like it, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. How do you become like him? By continuing to put on your new nature every single day. You're called to wear it, put it on. I want you to stand up with me. I know I didn't even get close to finishing this message. Round two next Sunday. Part two next Sunday. Sometimes I, I, I go into these, these spaces and I'm like, I could have sped it up, but I, I want to build something for you. I want to build this into something for you so you have a greater depth of understanding. I want you to close your eyes just for a few moments because I feel like when I said that comment about the old clothes, some of you were like, that's me. 
That's me. I've been wearing the old clothes. I've been wearing the burnt clothes. I've been wearing the things that used to define me. I've been wearing the words that used to define me. I've been wearing the things that, the addictions, the things that I'm just comfortable living in. I've been wearing those things, and I know that I'm not supposed to wear those things any longer. Jesus dealt with your old clothes to give you new ones. He dealt with the old version of you to give you a new version of you, a brand new version of you. You are called a new creation, not an old creation, a new creation, brand new, fully, fully new in every way, shape, and form. I'm just going to invite the ministry team down here as we transition here. I just believe there are people in the room that really need some prayer for some stuff. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your parenting, maybe it's your business, maybe it's your career, maybe just personal stuff going on in your life. Maybe there's struggles, there's like deep, let me just tell you, the most powerful thing to break any struggle that you are facing right now is the power of understanding the gospel and what he did for you over 2,000 years ago on a cross. Bar none. You want to move up, you want to move ahead, you want deliverance, to be set free, understand that he died and he rose again for your freedom. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is king, that he's Lord, and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Just a starting point. It's just an acknowledgement. A prayer won't save you, let me tell you. A prayer won't save you. An everyday decision to follow and pursue the one who created you with a purpose to adopt you into the family of God, that will save you. To understand what it means to actually repent, to see different, to receive forgiveness in your life, and to forgive those that have wronged you, that will change the game for you. To give up some of the addictions, say, I don't want this anymore. Man, some of you, you're just, you're stuck because of these things. And God wants to get you unstuck today. And sometimes coming to the front for prayer is a step forward to say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care if I'm judged. I just want freedom. I want to live the fullness of the life that God's called me to live without worrying about what anybody thinks about me because one day I'm going to die. I'm not going to answer to anybody in this room. When I die, I will not answer to anybody in this room. I will answer, I will answer to one person, and his name is Jesus. Did you do, Sean, with what I gave you to do? Did you do it the way that you were supposed to? Did you love those around you the way you were supposed to? Did you live the life and serve me the way that I'd called you to? I'm held accountable to one person. When I die, so are you. And I want to invite you, if you're in this room and you've, maybe you've never received prayer before by anybody in your life. That's That's sad. Let this day be your first day because some of you need to break through. There's some people in here that have never said yes to Jesus in relationship. All it simply is to say, hey, Jesus, like, I don't know what this means. Like, I did that when I was 19, 18, almost 19, in my car on the 417. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe that Jesus was real. And in my car by myself on the highway on the 417, I encountered the living God in my car in my 1992 golden topaz. And everything changed from there. I didn't know what it meant. I'm like, I'm all in. I'm all in. I know you're real now. I'm all in. What next? And my whole world flipped upside down from that one decision. It starts as a decision, but it ends and transforms you the day in and day out as you apply. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this room that you would just overwhelm people with your presence and your peace. 
overwhelm them with your joy, overwhelm them with your strength, overwhelm them with breakthrough in this chapter of their lives and their families and their kids and their marriages and their careers. Bless their careers. Prosper their businesses. Prosper their careers. Prosper them in their health, in their relationships, in Jesus.